1: Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the writer, producer and former Premier League footballer Marvin Sordell. Marvin came through the academy at Watford Football Club in the noughties. He made the first team in his teens and was soon playing for England under-21s. That led to a big money transfer in 2012 to Bolton Wanderers and a move across the country. That same year, he was selected by Stuart Pearce to play for Team GB in the Olympics. Everything seemed to be heading in the right direction. But secretly, Marvin was deeply unhappy, stressed and buckling under the pressure of a professional football career. Unable to make sense of his feelings and too ashamed to speak out about them, he hit rock bottom in 2013. When he attempted to take his own life. By 2019, aged just 28, he made the extremely difficult decision to step away from a professional football career. His decision was courageous and unique, and I was really interested to find out more about why he made it. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Marvin, welcome to the reset. hey right? How you doing? I'm all right, mate. Thanks for joining me. It's a, a real pleasure and an honour to speak with you. Take take me back to the beginning of your career when you were just just a lad. Um, did you just derive joy from football back in those days when you were younger and first like trying to get noticed by the big clubs?
0: Yeah, I mean, football then is what football is now to me, which is nice, you know. It's just a, a place of enjoyment purely... Um, football you know, football was, is an escapism for a lot of people anyway. You know, whether you're playing, watching, partaking in whatever capacity, you know, it is an escapism from the world. And sport has this immense power to be able to do that. And football has always been that for me. You know, when I was a kid, that was it. You know, football was my biggest thing in terms of channeling energy, the, the greatest love I ever had, the first love I had, have ever had. And... You know, I'm, I'm fortunate now that that's the case again. I think obviously throughout my career that that went missing quite a bit. But, you know, it was just always my happy place and my safe place from ever since I can remember, to be honest.
1: Yeah. So was, is it the classic sort of you're out with your mates in the park till dinner time or playing in the street? Was, was that the sort of
0: kid you were? Yeah. up and like literally until the streetlights came on, you know, as soon as the street lights come on, I know I have to go back home. But you know, rain, shine, snow, cold, hot, wherever it was, everyone who knew me knew that I'd be with a football, playing football, practicing, just doing skills or kicking the ball against the wall, practicing my left foot and working on my right foot, volleys, half volleys. If I could get a mate to come with me down to the park, then you know I'd be kicking the ball with my mate or playing like you know World Cup and round robins with with friends. Wherever it was, I just whether I had people or not, I was always playing football, you know, and, and it was such a huge part of my childhood and obviously has been part of my life since. And were you a fan too? Did you watch football? Did you have heroes that you wanted to emulate when you were a lad? Yeah, so I grew up supporting Arsenal. And my heroes growing up were Ian Wright and Thierry Henry. You know, they were the people I looked up to most and you know, players I wanted to be like, you know, I, I used to watch football a lot. Like literally my mum would just be like, oh my God, there's another game on TV. There's another game. There's another game. You know this was before, you know, the coverage of football is even this what it is now. So like, God knows what she would have thought if it was if it was similar to what it is now. But you no, know, I just love watching football. I just love everything to do with football. And, you know, I didn't want to ever even think about let alone talk about or partake in anything else unless it was football related. <laughs> So what?
1: Um, and you always add it in your head that you wanted to be a professional. Was that? Was there any doubt in your mind, or was that what you were always set on from a young
0: age? Literally, since I was the age of about six, I think. And it and it's funny because it wasn't necessarily just a case of me wanting to become a football player. I always used to say to everyone, I'm going to be. This is my goal. Like it's not just a dream. It's my goal. Like it's my target to actually get there. And I was very confident that was going to happen. No. It's funny because I was I was confident and very assured that I was going to be a football player. But yeah, I wasn't massively confident in my own abilities. Right. So it, it was it, it it's strange. But you know, of course I ended up managing to to become a professional and you know had a sustained career for quite some time i've've I've read you say before that you were never the
1: standout player in a lot of like the teams you played in um and yet there were so many people with the same dream as you who never make it as far as y- you did and and you're saying you did that in spite of the fact that you often didn't feel like you were number one so how did you do it?
0: I mean maybe some you know maybe in some cases I was the stand-up player, and I maybe didn't realize, you know, I had a lot of confidence issues with myself growing up and throughout my early part of my career, really. So maybe in some occasions I was a stand-up player and I just didn't realize it. But to be honest, I just worked very hard. You know, I had a lot of rejection in that sense. I had, you know, I didn't get scouted until I was 13. I saw a lot of friends and teammates go and play for academies, you know, between ages of, like, Six seven up until see 10, 11, 12. Before I got scouted, I got scouted to Chelsea at 13. And you know, I just worked hard. You know, I went to all these other things, and you know, some people didn't think I was good enough. I moved around Sunday teams, even. And some managers sometimes didn't think I was good enough. Some thought I was amazing. And it was just the belief that you know, that's my goal. You know, whatever it is that's going to get me there, I'm going to do, you know, practicing all the time training, putting in the work, extra running, sprinting, wherever it may be, studying football. I just did everything I could to just give myself the best opportunity possible. And that's probably what, you know, allowed me to to just continue down that path and, and you know, my trajectory to increase because I was just completely dedicated to it. And you know, I didn't see myself wanting to do anything else. I didn't find myself distracted by other things as you know, throughout high school, you know, young boys can, can get distracted by a lot of different things. And, you know, none of those things appealed to me whatsoever. All I wanted to do was play football. All I wanted to be was a professional football player. And I was so single-minded in that that nothing could come in the way of it. So
1: at what point, Marvin, did all of the joy that you derived from football start to, you know, be tainted a little bit by the pressures that came with the game? At what age did you start to notice that?
0: Probably around 20, 21 years old. And, um, you know, for a multitude of reasons, you know, I've been fortunate that, you know, playing for Watford at the time, they were a smaller club, you know, than they are now. Very family-oriented club. The relationship between players and fans was great. The... The squad predominantly was academy graduates and, you know, players who've been around in different clubs. The club didn't have a lot of money, so they didn't necessarily have big transfers, big fees. There wasn't massive expectations on players at the club, other than to try and stay in the league and, and, you know, be competitive and work hard. You know, as you know, you know, you think of football, that's what you predominantly think of. As a fan, you want your players to be representing you and just working hard and putting in their best and trying to entertain in, in ways and 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 so, with that in mind, you know, a lot of the players I grew up with, they're friends, and I'm from Harrow. I grew up in Harrow, so that's only around the corner from what really. So I was close to home. My friends who I was playing football with, I didn't necessarily realise like the size of what the championship was. It's Just I'm playing, I'm fresh in a professional football club. But I'm playing football with my mates who I grew up with in the academy, and I'm at home. I'm you know still doing. What I consider normal things, it felt feels more normal. But of course, being a professional football player doesn't necessarily feel that much so. And then seeing the move to Bolton, you know, Premier League, Bolton, massive club, very historic club, pressure is very different. I was playing for England under on at the time, and going playing the Olympics, and all of a sudden, you know, I think I around that period of time where I my career got to its heights. Essentially, I. I just realized that this isn't necessarily just my my hobby. You know, this isn't necessarily the thing I just do for fun. And There's only really probably a few years afterwards looking back in hindsight where I realized that there's a moment where football goes from being your hobby to your job. Mm. It's, it's important to replace your hobby, you know, have that safe space because football for me growing up always was, ah, oh, if I've had a frustrating day, I just want to go and kick a ball. I want to go and play football. If I'm happy, I want to play football. If I'm wherever it is, however I'm being, whatever's happened in my life, I always wanted. I always resorted to going to play football. And so this safe environment, which I always knew with a ball, I was going to be happy. To then being an environment where sometimes with a ball you're not going to be happy, but that's you know looking back in hindsight, you understand that's that's just life. That's work. You know, you go Mm -hmm. to work. Not every day is going to be amazing at work, but you understand. You go to work. You do your job. You work hard. You come home and you park that and you don't necessarily take that home. But with football, you know, you you take those emotions home because you think, I expect joy always from, from this environment because I always have done so my whole life. And so that was quite difficult, a, a quite a difficult period, you know, and, and I can understand it a lot, as I said, in hindsight, but throughout the, that process, it was very difficult to, to really know what was going on, because I was just not happy for for quite some period of time.
1: So it's it's interesting that you're saying that you know everyone needs a release. Everyone needs a bit where they can just remove themselves, a bit of their life where they remove themselves from pressure and stress. And that had been football, but you you hardly likely after a day of training or whatever to think, well, now I want to go out and play in the yeah. park or or whatever. So you, you feel in retrospect it would have been healthy to have. Had something to replace
0: that in your life, whatever that might be. Yeah, for sure. But I think the biggest thing is at the time you don't realize that that is that's what's happening. Yeah. And so I didn't realize that that was one of the reasons why I wasn't happy. That I wasn't my my place for happiness had disappeared. You know, place for it's just purely happiness and purely joy and purely positive emotions had disappeared, and I needed to find something else. You know, most people in society that place is football. You know. And whether that is watching, whether that is playing, football is their place where they've had a hard week at work and they just go and watch the football, they go play football with their mates or wherever it may be. And you know, there was like a as I said, like this crossover period which I obviously didn't really realise and only looking back I actually do that okay, I should have and explored it a lot more in terms of found finding a replacement for my hobby and and having a place where I can just fully switch off Mm. because you don't get that being a professional football player because it is because it's seen as so many people's hobbies, you're immersed in this world of well, this what and it was your hobby. You're immersed in this world which is work and, and and all of life kind of put together in one place. What was the culture
1: like the dressing room culture amongst players when when this started to get on top of you? The stress, the scrutiny, the pressure what 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 was the culture in terms of being able to share that with other players because ultimately they're the only people who can really relate or understand to what you're feeling was was there a culture was there were there individuals you felt you could share it with
0: or was it a bit too competitive for that well neither to be honest i mean it wasn't necessarily competitive in that sense like you you i can share things but it wasn't i wasn't in a position where i, where I felt i could share these things or or you know being seen as weak of course mental health wasn't necessarily a thing that we spoke about or was on you know on the topic of discussion among society let alone within football dressing rooms at that time of course things are very different now and in you know, the conversation is progressing you know phenomenally but for me i was a young person and i didn't necessarily know What I was thinking was feeling, or or I couldn't really make sense of it because, you know, the what what coincided with me not feeling very good or or being in a in a down place in a dark place was me not playing as well, and Mm -hmm. so I was out of the team. You know, when I moved to Bolton, I was out of the team, and for a a few years after that, I really tried really struggled to regain. A solid place within a a club and a team and and be playing consistently whereas before that at Watford i was playing every week and so from my perspective as someone who it's just everything is football i've gone from playing to not playing of course i'm not happy because i want to be playing and yet there's all these other things that are there that are the are the real reason but i can only see the thing that's right at the top as playing and not playing and so Then when you when you think of it like that, all you think is, well, and if you have that conversation, you say, I'm not happy because I'm not playing. Most people say, well, of course. Mm-hmm. And that's that. You know, do yeah. something about it.
1: Yeah, it doesn't go any deeper, the conversation, because people think, well, it's just a straightforward reason. And and it sounds like you were just unaware. I mean, so much of this is about just being aware of your own feelings yeah. and where they're coming from. And so many of us, lack the ability the kind of emotional maturity to see that and we kind of do often need other people to to point that out to us or or bring us to realize what we what we're experiencing um it must have been tough and it's a big move as well like I know there was quite a big transfer fee and also just in terms of geographically a lot of young people in any line of work, would struggle? You know, you've moved from Watford up to Bolton, you're separated from family and friends, presumably. Was that, you know, a, a big a big issue as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really think of it so much at the time, but again, everything was down to the fact that I wasn't playing. And so I wasn't playing, so I didn't feel settled. And probably I wasn't settled because I didn't have any friends at the time. You know, all of my teammates at the time were a lot older than me. So they had their families and they were settled in, you know, home and kids or whatever. And I was just going back, to, you know, to my apartment on my own. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know the city. So when I had time, I'd be, go back home to see friends and to see, to see family. And then it's so even more so it felt like well, I'm not playing. I haven't got friends and family around or whatever, but obviously if I was playing, I'd be happy and I'd be settled and everything would be great. But there were so many obviously underlying issues that, I didn't and wasn't able to recognise.
1: So, you know, this happened, the transfer happened in 2012 and also in 2012 you were selected for Team GB by Stuart Pearce. Um, just tell us a little bit about what that felt like and what your state of mind was then. Did that bring with it its own uh, set of pressures too?
0: Yeah, I mean, massively. You know, I I, I talk about the experience in, of the Olympics in, in two ways. One, it was such an incredible time. It's such an incredible thing to be a part of, and I speak about it with such pride. And I have some of the greatest memories I ever had from you know being involved in that. But at the same time, I was in a very very dark place in my life, and you know there were there were there were times during that because it was very it was, it was very high pressured in the sense that you know. Around the squad selection and the announcement, of course, you know my name was the one that a lot of people and a lot of media were coming for. In a sense that I shouldn't have been in the squad, right? In the end of the day, I was in the squad. I was picked because Schurrp saw so I was good enough to be in the squad. It doesn't really matter now. It didn't really matter then so much, but you know how how media is in football and and social media. It was. It felt very lonely at times. You know, it felt like. Um I was I was there and then obviously as someone that especially that especially around that time had a lot of issues with confidence. I found it very difficult being in that environment where you're being scrutinized so much and so intensely, you know, in such a short period of time as well, from the squad announcement through to then we start training, and going to games and stuff, and, and throughout that process, it was just it felt very intense. As well as the fact that of course I've come off the back of, you know, a uh, half season really, should I say, of not playing, being scrutinized even more so, you know, where things had just really intensified basically overnight after the move. You know, everything is completely changing my life in, in in one day. And throughout that period it, it just it felt very very fast, um that everything was was spiraling and going downhill very quickly. So yeah, it was as much as I speak about it in such a fun way, which I, I have such fond emotions and memories of it, on the day to day of being there and through that experience is one of the it was it was a very tough period for me personally.
1: Yeah. And then um it was the following year when things became very bleak for you. Tell us a bit about
0: your lowest point, which I believe you said came in twenty thirteen. Yeah. I mean I attempted to take my own life. You know, that's the place i was at in in with things and you know again i look back in hindsight and obviously understand why i would gotten to that point in terms of understanding that it was more than just me not playing and that Mm -hmm. being the said there were so many so many other things wrapped up in it you know partly partly things from my childhood partly things from you know throughout my playing career partly pressure partly you know, being and feeling very unsettled and and unsure about a lot of things, and obviously my lack of confidence, particularly as a young person into young adult. But you know, added to that, so all of these things combined, and then, you know, I think I felt like there was a there was a period of my my career at that point where I felt like there was a lot of distrust, and you know, I had some situations where I. I, I placed my trust in, in individuals and I felt like that was taken advantage of. And so because of that, then it made me feel worse because it exposed me to, to further things as well as the fact that, you know, at that point, I I started seeing a therapist and my therapist wanted me to go to the Priory. You know, the one of my clubs found out and, and she called up my mum and told them that I need to concentrate on football. Wow. When I look back, I think what well, that was very dangerous. <laughs> that was a very bad thing. That was someone from your club. That was that was the chairman of the club. Wow. But you know, I look back and I'm like, wow, that's such a dangerous and bad thing. But like mm. at the time I was just like, oh, you know, obviously I've got to do that, but I felt very, very lonely because things weren't going well. My career wasn't necessarily going well. I felt a lot of pressure and a lot of scrutiny. Firstly because of transfer fee and the club and the size of the club, obviously being the Premier League you're exposed to a lot more social media and then of course the Olympics and then obviously playing in the, in the 21s, it it was just, it was just a lot, you know, it was a lot in a, in a very short period of time. So I found that completely overwhelming. And then obviously I ended up leaving the club in, you know, very bad circumstances happened literally overnight again, which, then brought even more scrutiny and, and stuff like that. And then when I, when I then moved on to my next club, I, I was just like consistently spiraling from there. And I Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. just didn't really know how to get a grasp of how i felt my emotions you know what was going on and obviously my football career because you know for me as well like i keep going referring back to how i felt as a young person is like football was everything my emotions and and every all of that was just tied up in football and yet every time i go to football it's making me feel bad you know Mm -hmm. and i'm not enjoying it i'm not at the level I want to be at and all, of, and I'm not playing and I'm not having this outlet of, of what I want, which is just to play football and to enjoy football. That's literally all I've known my entire life. And then up in, at this point for so long, it feels like football was just causing me so much pain and it was just not really realizing everything else that kind of comes around and obviously my emotions and stuff in hindsight, I can see look back and, you know, dissect it and understand it properly. But, you know, throughout that period, it was just quite painful. Were you drinking at this stage? Yeah, yeah, I was drinking a lot. I was you know, I'd be drink coming home from training and just sitting down on the sofa from like twelve and just drinking through to the evening and then going to bed. I'd be the last person into training, the first person to leave. I would was barely eating, so I wouldn't even really eat lunch at training. I was seeing not a very good professional at all. And you know, it was just massively impacted me and then of course it just continued to spiral until we got to a point where you know I felt like I couldn't go on What role did racism
1: in the game play in your mental health struggles? I mean
0: it's, it's not just in my in my career and in the game with football but in my life you know growing up you know I've had many instances of racism and some very aggressive and some Hard, very hard situations. You know, I've had neighbors try to run me over, you know, as a kid, you know, neighbors wrecking into petrol by my house and many other situations, and of course, occasions and situations as a professional football player, even you know, microaggressions where people are dissecting your behavior and your 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 mannerisms, your tone, you know, your just everything about you and all of these things add up you know and over time of course they can trigger you in different different moments and different periods of your life you can be triggered massively and you know that obviously had an impact and has had an impact and i'm sure will continue to have some impact even though i'm able to understand it better now i'm sure it will still continue to have some impact going forward as well what changed for you what what
1: helped you start to become more self-aware was it hitting that crisis
0: point it wasn't actually the crisis point didn't really do anything in that sense it didn't change anything um it just continued along the same path and i ended up um what actually you know changed things a lot is is i ended up starting to write poetry and i came from reading a book uh book or poems called sex and love and rock and roll by a guy called tony walsh and um I started to write poetry, and then I think a lot of words and things just started to flow out very quickly, very naturally. And after a while, I, I, you know, had a lot of things I, I put together, and I started to read them and reflect them and understand them. And I thought, wow, this is this is heavy, this is dark, and you know, some of the like I started to understand my emotions, and because I was able to see them, to read them, to reflect on them, to to dissect them, and and really just get into them in, in a bit more detail where things are just kind of flowing around my head for however many years before that. And they come and they go and they, you know, they can escalate and then, you know, deescalate, but being able to see that physically to look at it and go, okay, there's, this is how you feel. This is, this is not good. And, you know, it just gave me an outlet to express those and, and kind of, almost like pour directly, pour those emotions directly out. But then also beyond that, you know, it allowed me to share how I felt with family and with friends because up until that point in life, I just didn't ever express how I felt. Someone ever asked me how I felt, I just understand I'm, I'm fine, always. And clearly I wasn't fine because of so many things, but it got to a point where I was able to just share that. I just sent an email with a PDF of all of these poems and just said, read this to my closest friends and family. And that just then allowed for a lot of conversations to happen off the back of it. And, you know, those conversations, you know, improved relationships, gave great context as to what was going on, you know, because throughout throughout those years, I very much, you know, was was in isolation. I didn't want to speak to people see people or... or be very social and so it gave context as to what had been going on with me for a few years of my life and also what I was feeling and so then I was able to communicate that way and then have those conversations and you know that just then started to obviously the the chain of effects you know I mean? like the you know it started off the 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 trail of of going to where i where I am today So you made the decision,
1: age 28, to basically retire from the game. And that that must have been a huge decision, but sounds like that ability to start expressing yourself and almost like make some sort of sense or order of your thoughts and feelings must have played a big role in that.
0: Yeah, Uh, I started to understand all of these things and how I felt, what was going on in my life. And I thought, you know, There are so many things I've changed throughout my career, like so many things, you know, and and I realized at the after some time that the common denominator was just being a professional football player, you know, Mm -hmm. love football so much and I have always loved football, but I felt like I got to a point where I understood that maybe being a professional football player is just not for me and it doesn't work. It doesn't it doesn't serve me and serve my happiness. And I was Mm -hmm. miserable for for a long time, regardless of the fact that it was something I'd always dreamed of doing. I'd managed to live that dream and I've realized that, you know, it wasn't what I necessarily expected it to be. And so it was something that I needed to do more so than wanted to do, I would say, because, you know, ideally I would have played football for until I, until I couldn't to be honest, but it, wasn't it wasn't positive for me you know being a professional football player towards like i think i'd say towards the end but it, over overarching you know the the emotions weren't, weren't weren't great for me so what's life
1: felt like since then i mean what it was an immediate sort of relief from a lot of those feelings or are you still a little bit torn when you think about football or watch football these days? Sort in what sense?
0: Well, do you miss it? No. I I love playing football. I go to, I mean, I still go to games. I enjoy watching football. Um, I work in the football industry in many different capacities. I don't miss being a professional football at all. I've not missed it one day, you know, which is, I get asked that question a lot. And I say the same thing all the time, you know, I, I'm very fortunate I was able to live my dream but I don't miss it at at all you know the thing that I knew that I would miss is playing football and I still get to do it I have an immense amount of freedom in my life I can live a very normal life and be myself and don't have to be something or somebody that I don't necessarily want to be I can stand what I want to stand for and and the ability to control my own destiny you know is a is a massive thing and yeah, you know, that's something that I think a lot of the time you have to relinquish as a football player is that you don't necessarily have a say or, you know, control over a lot of your life and you're consistently under scrutiny for, you know, just just for going to work a lot of the times and isn't something that I necessarily agreed with or, or, you know, wanted to be a part of, to be honest. How do you think
1: football needs to change to sort of, you know, avoid people going through the same experiences as, as you have? What
0: what needs to change in football? Like football is a very intense industry and it's a, you know, it's, it's an industry with big business and big money, you know, which you don't, and, and big emotion, which you don't normally have a combination of in most industries. It's almost like the emotion and the connection of what you'd you'd have in a charity with like the business of a a big bank or a hedge fund or something. You know, they don't necessarily go particularly well hand in hand. They can do, but at the moment, I don't think football manages the balance between business and emotion very well. But I think it's it's understanding what football can do a lot better is understanding like the, the balance. You know, understanding that as much as football players are assets, they're still human beings. As much as they are there to, to entertain, they still have to look after themselves and look after their families and, and look after their emotions and understand them. They're not as much as they have to play game after game and they have to be prepared and professional. They still have to be, you know, present in the world and in themselves and be able to, to, not be a robot, you know. Mm. And I think football doesn't do a good job of finding balance. I think it's it's getting better. I think having a, a a world where players are able to be themselves outside of their working environment and their working window is important because it's it's just healthy. You know, every single I would say probably every person would say that their job is different to their hobby. Mm. You know, in, in in a normal working environment, they'll say their job is different to their hobby. And I, I don't know how many football players can say that, but I think that's something that should be a lot more encouraged because it's just a healthy way to approach life, to, to have a place that can serve your emotions in a positive way, be able to emotionally recover and switch off from work. And Go into an environment where you can just be yourself. You don't necessarily have to be the name on the back of the show. You can be your own name and and that's it. And I think that that would be an important thing, I think, for players. And I think you'd you'd from that you'd you'd serve better relationships between players and fans, which obviously in turn serve the game much better as well.
1: Fans have got a lot to learn, haven't they? And I speak as a big football fan myself, you know, in terms of understanding that footballers are human beings. I mean, you know, people think that the money that especially Premier League footballers earn almost needs to or should offset any of the the negative feelings that people might have to experience or the criticism or the abuse. Um, That's something football still needs to really work on. is a perception around that, isn't it? About And it's, it's not just football, of course, it's just anyone who's in the public eye and is perceived to earn money, people think it is fair game. Yeah, um, yeah. Strikes me as a big problem
0: maybe amongst young people. I don't know how we change that. I it. think it's a big problem within football in general. I think it's just the way football is marketed and it's a, a working-class game, people from working-class environments who go on to have careers that can potentially earn a lot of money. Mm. You know, even though people look at football and go, everyone's a multimillionaire. That's definitely not the case. And there aren't the numbers aren't necessarily that massive. But you know, bankers are not seen seen as the same way, for example, or you know, even other sports are not necessarily seen the same way. Or actors or musicians. You know, football has this strange thing because so many people partake in football, so many people play football, so many people watch football that it feels like you know, football player is. Just like, well, you're just doing what we do down the park. What's the difference? It's, it is drastically different, of course. But I think that's just uh sometimes it's just, it is what it is. You know, it's, it's difficult to change perception on everyone because you're, you're trying to change the mindset and culture of something that is generational. So, you know, potentially we can change it down the line and hopefully we get to, to a place where, football has healthier relationships between players and fans, players and clubs, clubs and fans. I think in general, I think football has, and you know, you throw media into that as well. I think in general, football has a lot of relationships that are very um, fractured and not necessarily healthy ones. What's your advice to
1: to a young player now or a would-be player? Someone very young comes to you and says, asks for advice, he says, Mom and I want to, I want to make a go of it. I want to become a pro. What what, what a guidance do you give a young lad, 12-year-old lad or something like about that? I'd say
0: give it everything. You know, work hard, listen, practice, you know, which you have to be, study the game. I'd also say make sure you enjoy it. If you mm. don't enjoy it, don't do it. Because the thing that gets a lot of players through a lot of things is the fact that they just love football. A, it kept me in the game for years longer than probably I wanted to be. Because I, I probably was I was quite close probably to retiring about 24, right. 24, And it was just the love of being a football player and love of playing football that kept me in the game. And in, in fact it was the love of playing football that actually and the love of football that partly pushed me to retire as well, because I wanted to still love football and I didn't want to hate it. And that's something that I would definitely advise is, is to, you know, enjoy it, enjoy playing football and enjoy the industry, enjoy the moments because it can be so amazing. You know, football's given me everything and it's given me so many positive experiences and emotions in my life. And so, you know, you want
1: to hold Have on. Have you to... got a moment, mate? Yeah. Go. Is there a moment in your mind where I can ask you, what was that? What's the moment when you look back on? You think, oh, that was like almost perfect. You know, maybe it was a goal or a match that where you just sort of think, yeah, that was that. That's an example of when football was giving me
0: nothing but joy. It is the the moment for me is playing at Wembley. You know, I walked out of Wembley, and I was starting in the Olympics, and, and uh, the reason being is because I grew up in Harrow, you know, which is. 10 minutes, 15 mm-hmm. minutes Wembley Stadium, playing Sunday League football in in and around Harrow. Often on a Sunday, my mum and I would go to Wembley Market, which is in a, was in a car park of the old Wembley Stadium. Yeah. Often, of course, I'm still there in my not very muddy kicks. I didn't used to get muddy. I hated mud. <laughs> and, um, you know, looking up at the stadium thinking, yeah, one day I want to play there. One day I'm going to play there. And, you know, getting to play there in you know, in a tournament like the Olympics. And my mum and my sister, you know, who were there for the whole of my journey, going to all these mad places. My sister with the A to Z mapping and lapping, you know, before certain days. And and yeah, it was just a real special thing, you know, to be able to play there. And for my mum and sister to have been there because it's like, that is, you know, the Olympics is the biggest sporting event in the world. And to be able to, Never represent Team GB in the full house at the Olympics mm. at Wembley Stadium just like amazing. I mean I the only the only thing that makes it less so because I didn't actually get to see them on the day was actually play the game and then we're on a bus and gone yeah you know, to like actually save the moment and, and see them and be like wow we did it who were your teammates that day I mean
1: Gareth Bale was in that side wasn't he no, uh, Ryan Giggs, right. uh, Jeremy,
0: um Tom Curbley, Daniel Sturridge. Wow. Uh, Mika Richards, Aaron Ramsey. I had,
1: had a strong squad. Incredible. What an incredible experience, mate. And what an, I- what an incredible career in life. And you've shown such bravery. And I think there's so many people who feel trapped in what they're doing. and yeah. And no matter what industry they're in. I think someone for you to work in perhaps the most high profile industry in British society, you know, uh, 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 and to have gone so far like you did, but had the courage and the bravery to say, look, this isn't working for me and walk away. That is such a huge example to set for so many people, because there are so many people who feel trapped and they feel like, oh, and they almost feel guilty for feeling down because society tells them they don't have the right to because look at, uh, at their success. But what you've done is show people you need to put yourself first. You know, nothing's more important than how you feel. And, um, you know, if not, you can end up in very dark places like you did. And, and that's why what, what I think is so amazing about your story, mate, and I'm, I'm, it's incredible you speak about it so powerfully too. And so I'm so grateful to you. One last really quick question is, are you playing football still? And are you, do you get to enjoy it
0: now? Yeah, I play football loads, to be honest. I play every week. I play seven a size, nine a size, just with mates and and I love it. Yeah. but mate aren't you
1: like a ringer who ruins it I for everyone <laughs> so i played it when a lad like you turns up it's just like oh no he's just gonna ruin it now it's not even like you're one of these really old pros who's not out of shape anymore <laughs> you're still in shape and young enough I to just batter people lot, mate
0: <laughs> do you ever take your foot off the gas just a little bit oh most of the time to be fair <laughs> I, don't, I don't play it full out, but like it's, it's fun and it's obviously yeah. it, it's fun and it's exercise as well so Brilliant, brilliant. Well,
1: it's so good to hear your story and couldn't, I can see just by looking at you that you're in such a, a better place. You seem so relaxed in yourself now and that's fantastic. And once again, Marvin, I just want to say thanks for your time. Thanks for being so honest and speaking so powerfully. And thanks for the example you set to all of us. Any, any of us who ever find themselves trapped in a situation that's not making them happy, you're a shining light someone. You know, notice that and, and take what action you need to.
0: I appreciate that thanks
1: very much cheers Marvin cheers that was Marvin Sordell genuinely an inspiration to anyone who feels like they have to keep on going even when their job is making them miserable Marvin was speaking to me in his role as an ambassador for the campaign against living miserably which does so much great work in suicide prevention in the UK you can find out more by following the links and numbers that I've put for Calm in the blurb under this podcast remember to subscribe to the reset at samdelaney.substack.com you can follow me on instagram at the reset sam that's it for this week thanks for listening as always be lucky gang and remember don't let the dickheads get you down